a trip and do it soon. Here today, tomorrow, the moon. Take the kids, have a ball. For Florida's the greatest of them all. From the Gulf to the Atlantic and the Keys just beyond. Oh, yes. It's going to be a good episode. It's our weird world. Our weird world. Welcome to our weird world. I'm your host, John Henson, and today's episode is all about Florida, the great train wreck of a state that it is. Uh, going to be looking at four different stories from the state of Florida today. Uh, L.V. Calloway, Carl Robert Brown, the Conk Republic, and Danny Rowling. Um, I feel pretty proud of myself. There's some serious editing work, post, post-production work going into this episode. Um, I'm going to have another special song later in this episode, so... Uh, strap in. It's story time. Story time. In 1971, L.V. Calloway, after spending decades studying the area, uh, became pretty convinced that North Florida is where the Garden of Eden was located. Uh, Calloway started out as a teacher in a one-room schoolhouse at age 16 before becoming a lawyer and a Baptist preacher in Central Florida. Um, he was sent to the small town of Bristol in North Florida by Dr. Brown Landone, who asked Calloway to, quote, interpret ancient events. I don't know how you do that in North Florida uh, without drugs, but LV was sent to do it. And look, honestly, that doesn't mean anything, but it was one of those things that was just vague enough to send Callaway to North Florida to uncover God's real truth. And by the end of his research, not only did Callaway believe that the land north of Bristol, Florida was the site of the Garden of Eden, but it was also where he believed Noah built the ark. All right. Starting off real crazy today. Um, Calloway, to his credit, he had some very loosely convincing evidence, right? For starters, according to the book of Genesis, uh, the river that flowed through the Garden of Eden came from four headwaters. And basically what that means is that four other tributaries came together to form the main river uh, that flowed through the Garden of Eden. Um, the Apalachicola River, which does flow between uh, the towns of Blountstown and Bristol in North Florida, is allegedly one of only two rivers in the world with that feature. Uh, the other river, uh, believe it or not, is actually in Siberia. So if you're going to take that for what it's worth, that would mean that the Garden of Eden, where most people believe, uh, was in between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers in the in like Iraq, I guess, uh, is not actually where it was. Um Additionally, the Torea tree, also known as gopher wood, only grows in the area near Bristol and was the type of wood that Noah used to build the ark. Go figure. Um, other evidence Callaway pointed to was the fact that 25 of the 28 trees mentioned in the Bible are located in the area. 
where are the other three? I don't know. Does it matter? I'm not not to him, I guess. Um, even more, uh, fossils of practically every species of animal that has ever existed have been found in the Ashley lime beds in South Carolina. Uh, apparently, the Garden of Eden was a gigantic place. Maybe, you know, Adam and Eve kind of migrated north a little bit. I don't know. Uh, Calloway also cited a verse from Genesis that noted uh, one of the river's headwaters flowed through a land of gold. And so the Chattahoochee River, which is one of the Apalachicola's four headwaters, does flow through an area near Dahlonega, Georgia, which at one point housed a federal gold mine. Okay. All right. Look, you got, got some, no, I mean, come on. I know what you're thinking. You know, hey, buddy, uh, I remember from my Sunday school class and all the pretty picture books that I read as a child that Adam and Eve ate apples in the Garden of Eden. And now my big adult brain knows that apples don't grow in Florida. So obviously this guy was crazy. And, and look, you would be right. All right. There aren't any apple trees in the Apalachicola Valley, but there actually also isn't a single mention of apples in Genesis. Seriously, like go look at your King James Bible because all the other translations are the devil. Um, That's what my Christian school told me. So I have to then obviously believe that they were right. They were right about everything, you guys. Only the King James Bible is the right Bible. Um, You know, the, the word used in the Bible is fruit. It's not an apple. All right. Maybe that's another one of those Mandela effect things, you know, like the Berenstein, Berenstain bears or uh, Jif peanut butter or Jiffy peanut butter, whatever, you know, um, or that the, the main one is that Mandela died in office versus or died in jail versus not dying in jail. Um, anyway, either way, if you go look in your King James Bible, the word apple isn't used. Um, we just kind of assume it was an apple because that's just the imagery people chose to use over time because visual accuracy is not an important factor when you're telling a story and educating little kids in their most formative years where you're trying to mold their entire worldview. Um, it could have been an orange or a papaya or a banana or a grapefruit or a mango or a guava or a peach or a strawberry or a tomato or a lime, all of which uh, of those fruits are found in Florida. We just don't know what the actual fruit in the Bible was. Um, and so with this evidence in hand, Calloway began cutting trails through a large tract of land and set up signs advertising the Garden of Eden, including the place where Adam was born, because if God could give a new version of the Bible on a magical golden plate to Joseph Smith, he could certainly tell someone where Adam was born, right? Come on. Like, seriously, come on, guys. Um <laughs> But the whole idea seemed too crazy, even by Florida standards. Uh, And not long after Calloway died around 1980, interest in this area uh, faded until it was absorbed by Torreya State Park. Uh, Today, the land near the park is dotted with rundown shacks and inhabited by people who are pretty much borderline illiterate, Um, which, I mean, I guess is how the majority of Christianity has existed since Jesus died. Boom! Hey! Zing, 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 zing as a joke. Come on. I know there's a lot of smart Christians out there. Um, I've actually been, uh, I, I've driven past uh, Torreya State Park. Um, and yeah, there's not a lot there. It's just a bunch of trees and you're not going to actually find anything. Um, you know, you just got to take this guy's word for it that that is where the, the Garden of Eden used to be. Um Next story here is the story of Carl, Carl Robert Brown. Uh, he was born on November 26, 1930 in Chicago. Uh, after an honorable discharge from the Navy, he moved down to Miami and graduated from the University of Miami. Uh, he then went on to East Carolina University. Yes, sir. Let's go, ECU. First mention in the podcast. Here we go. Uh, 
it's where I went to school, got my bachelor's and master's and didn't really do much anything else. Um, but he got his master's in education before returning to South Florida to be a teacher at both Hialeah Junior High School and Miami-Dade College. Uh, unfortunately, that's about as good as it got for Carl. Uh, both of his marriages failed, uh, the first because his wife died and the other because he refused to get any sort of psychological help in like processing and getting over her death. Um, after his second wife left him, Carl's physical and mental condition just went way downhill. Uh, neighbors commented that he looked as if he were 80 years old, even though he was just kind of, you know, in his forties and fifties. Uh, and he was ultimately relieved from his teaching duties because he'd become very bigoted towards practically everyone in the school. And in South Florida, uh, white people, I think are, are actually the minority down there. Um, so if you're a bigoted white person, life's going to be very hard for you down there. Um, Carl often walked into his neighbor's yards early in the morning, sometimes to just scream United States as loud as he could. I don't, that's, that's weird. You know, just like imagine waking up and your neighbor's just standing in his yard, just United States, United States. (laughs) So stupid. Um, he often, other times he picked grapefruit from their trees in nothing but his underwear. Uh, when he returned from a trip overseas in an attempt to clear his head, Carl ended looking and feel, ended up looking and feeling worse. And eventually he came to a breaking point. Um, on August 19th, 1982, uh, Carl started arguing with Jorge Castilleda at Bob Moore's Welding and Machine Service. Um, Carl insisted the lawnmower engine that Jorge had worked on. I, I don't know if I said George or Jorge before, but it's Jorge Castilleda. Uh, but he, Carl insisted that the lawnmower engine that Jorge had worked on uh, so Carl could use it to power his bicycle was poorly serviced. Uh, he was also angry that the shop had refused to accept his traveler's check, which in 1982 was like the fifth most convenient way to pay for things behind cash, credit cards, money orders, and cashier's checks. Um, Carl eventually stormed off, vowing to return and kill everyone, but no one took him seriously because, I mean, look, if you work in the service injury in- industry, like you probably hear someone say that at least like twice a day just because they're terrible people. Um, the next day, however, uh, Carl brought, uh, bought two shotguns and a semi-automatic rifle because that's not suspicious at all. Like I can understand you going to buy a gun, but if you go to a store and you buy multiple guns, you should probably look into you and, and kind of get a good idea as to why you're buying so many guns. Um, he called, he then called his 10 year old son to see if he wanted to join him while he killed a lot of people. But his son wisely declined. Like he literally, he's like, hey, son, I'm going to go kill a bunch of people today. You want to go with me? No, dad. No, I think I'm good. I'm just going to stay home. Okay. See you later. You know, whatever. Uh, and then a few minutes later, Carl arrived back at Bob Moore's shop. And with one of the new shotguns draped over his shoulder, Carl kicked down a side door, whipped the shotgun into position and started shooting. Uh, as he fired bullets into the shop, he yelled that he'd send everyone to Germany. I... I don't know why he would say that. It seems odd. Um, but And by the time the shotgun was out of ammunition, eight of the 11 employees working at the shop were dead. Um, Carl then hopped back on his bicycle and began making his way to Hialeah Junior High School, where he used to teach. However, word began to spread quickly about what had just happened back at the repair shop. Um, Mark Cram, who worked at a nearby metal shop, quickly grabbed his revolver and picked up Ernest Hammett, who was flagging down cars on the street trying to get help. 
Uh, Mark let Ernest into the car and the two drove off to find Carl. Uh, they found him six blocks away, nonchalantly pedaling his bicycle like it was any other day. Like he's just got guns draped over him, but he's just, you know, pedaling his bicycle, singing, singing a song, you know, do 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 go kill some more people. They told me I was crazy, but now they're dead. <laughs> Could send him to Germany. I don't know. Um, Mark uh, tried to fire a warning shot over Carl's head, but instead just shot him in the back, which like, okay, we need to address the terrible aim at some point, but at least if you're going to miss someone, at least good job, like shooting the uh, crazed shooter in the back. So, um, and then (laughs) Carl turned around, grabbed the other shotgun from his saddle and began returning fire. But uh, Mark then sped up, ran Carl over, uh, and sent him crashing into a concrete light pole, and that was enough to uh, kill Carl. Uh, Even though they couldn't convict him of anything, police still needed some answers as to why this guy just lost his mind. Uh, They searched Carl's home and found tape recordings in which Carl identified himself as Logos, a mythical being that controlled the universe. So, okay, that's cool. That's great. Um, They... Uh, found they, they started playing the tape and uh, in it, Carl said, uh, God through me is responsible for the good and bad sounds in your head. The logos is the spark of God, the most logical. I am dis- I am indestructible on earth. Well, guess what, buddy? You were wrong uh, because apparently light poles can destruct you. That's how you say it. Yep. So um, weird story, kind of kind of frustrating that we couldn't really get more answers because I would love to know why he wanted to send people to Germany, probably because he thought the Nazis and going to hell in Germany was hell and all that kind of stuff. Probably. I don't know. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> moving on. Uh, also in 1982, uh, the Conk Republic. Um, so in 1982, the United States Border Patrol actually began uh, setting up a roadblock inspe- or setting up roadblock inspection points on uh, US one right where it merged with County Road 905, which um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's basically that point uh, just south of Homestead, Miami, where uh, it goes down to one two lane highway and it's the only road connecting the US mainland to the Florida Keys. And the Border Patrol was adamant that the checks needed to be done in order to prevent illegal drug and immigration trafficking from Cuba into Florida. Town leaders in the Keys, however, didn't like the massive disruptions to traffic that the roadblocks were causing. So, on April 23rd, Mayor Dennis Wardlow declared Key West's independence from the United States after an injunction against the roadblock failed in court. In Wardlow's eyes, Border Patrol had set up what was basically a border station as if everything in the Keys was a foreign nation. So with that logic, Wardlow figured that the Keys might as well actually just become a foreign nation. And since locals in the Keys were referred to as Conks, the Conk Republic was born from the southernmost tip of the Florida Keys, northward to Skeeter's Last Chance Saloon, because, of course, people in Florida would put a border at a bar rather than a geographic landmark. Um, And I think it's Conk, or maybe it's Conch. I don't know. I just Conch sounds awkward, so I'm just going to call it Conk. And I don't care if it bothers you skip ahead until I'm done with this story. I don't care. Um, war, uh, let's see. So just to make things even weirder, Wardlow then be, uh, proclaimed himself the prime minister of the Republic and immediately declared war against the United States by breaking a loaf of stale Cuban bread over the head of a man dressed in a naval uniform. Okay. <laughs> like, 
People in the Florida Keys are weird, but this is this is a little much. Um, Wardlow then surrendered to the fake naval officer after one minute and requested $1 billion in foreign aid from the United States. Uh, the United States, clearly sensing the sarcasm, decided to end the roadblocks, and the two nations enjoyed a period of peace with America just kind of playing along and recognizing the Conquer Republic's sovereignty. Uh, Conquer officials were even invited to the 1994 Summit of the Americas in Miami and the 1995 Florida Jubilee, but the peace between these two nations, quote-unquote, uh, wasn't going to last much longer. On September 20th, 1995, the 478th Civil Affairs Battalion of the United States Army Reserve decided to conduct a training exercise in which they simulated the invasion of a foreign island by landing at Key West and treating the residents as foreigners, which even on its own sounds bonkers, but apparently it's a thing they do. Uh, however, no one from the 478th uh, Battalion decided to tell the leaders of the Conquer Republic, mainly because the United States didn't actually recognize the Conquer Republic as an actual foreign country. Wardlow, uh, who was still the prime minister, organized the same small militia that was present at the 1982 secession and prepared for a full-scale war, which really just made for the saddest army in history because you're looking at people who are 13 years older than they were. And these were already probably middle-aged adults at first. Now they're probably retirement age and they're going to go up against the United States army as they fake invaded Key West to do an exercise. Um, rather, however, rather than arming themselves with actual guns, the conch army fired water cannons from fireboats and threw more stale bread, Cuban bread at the invaders. Uh, the next day, the 478th Battalion issued an apology saying it, quote, in no way meant to challenge or impugn the sovereignty of the Conch Republic and actually submitted to a surrender a day later because that's the exact kind of, kind of sarcasm you'd expect from a Bill Clinton presidency. I love that, you know, rather than getting super uptight and offended and, you know, gaslighting this like so many politicians would do today. Bill Clinton just kind of played along with. He's like, eh, yeah, yeah, I'll, you just, I don't know. That's a terrible Bill Clinton impression. I can get it right if I tried, but whatever. Um, <laughs> but Bill, Bill's just like, ah, it's cool, man. You know, you guys just have your fun. I get it. It's fine. Whatever. Um, when the federal government shut down two months later, uh, because of, you know, budget issues, the, the, the government shuts down from time to time, guys, it's okay. Um, it resulted in the closure of dry Tortugas national park, which was a big source of income, tourism income for the conch Republic, IE Key West. Um, and since it seemed like there wouldn't be anyone to stop them, the conchs actually just launched a full scale invasion of Fort Jefferson in the park as a way to reopen it and bolster their tourism industry. Um, although they raised private funds to keep the park open, they were unable to find a bank that would accept their money and reopen the park. I don't know if they were using American dollars or if they had come up with their own fake conch Republic dollar dollars, but like banks were just like, okay, guys, like this is getting going far enough. Like we're not going to play with you like this. Um, although leaders of the conch Republic were cited for breaking and entering upon their arrival at Fort Jefferson, the court case was quickly dropped. Um, despite their winning record in wars, uh, life was not always joyous in the Conquer Republic. Uh, in 2008, Key Largo led a group of separatists and seceded from the Conquer Republic and formed the independent northernmost territories of the Conquer Republic. This is so ridiculous. Like, <laughs> this has white people written all over it. 
Um, the division among the conks arose because nobody could agree on the definition of what the conch republic actually was. Maybe because the conch republic was never actually a real thing. Man, yeah, maybe. Um, Today, the Congo Republic maintains an active Army, Navy, and Air Force that reenacts what they call the Great Sea Battle of 1982, which wasn't actually a, a real battle. And so, uh, yeah, you know, if you go down to the Florida Keys today, you will still see people flying a Congo Republic flag. Uh, a lot of, like, not a lot, a few people still refer to themselves as the Congo Republic, and they may think that they're an independent nation. They're not. They're, no one recognizes this. It's just, it's a bunch of silliness. Um, the last story today is the story of Danny Rowling. Uh, he was born on May 26th, 1954 in Shreveport, Louisiana. Uh, his father, like all good dads told Danny that he was unwanted and took pride in abusing him. Yay. Good parents. Um, uh, he was all, like his father also abused his brother and his mother. Uh, on one occasion, Danny's father actually pinned him to the ground, handcuffed him and had another officer take him away. Um, because Danny had embarrassed him. Uh, and Danny's father, I, I feel like I skipped this. Danny's father was a police officer in Shreveport and he was abusive. And so Danny's just acting out one day. And so Danny's father literally held him down and handcuffed him and then called one of his officers to come haul him off in his, in his police cruiser, which is kind of funny, but also probably really scarring for a kid. Um, not surprisingly, Danny had trouble holding a job and was arrested on several occasions, mainly for robberies and, you know, being a creeper watching women undress. Uh, in May 1990, Danny finally had enough and tried to murder his father. He failed, though his father did lose an eye and ear in the attack. Uh, following the attempted murder, Danny moved down to Gainesville, Florida, and just basically went insane. Um, on August 24th, Danny broke into an apartment occupied by two University of Florida freshmen. He found Christina Powell sleeping on the couch and stood over her for a few minutes before deciding to go upstairs and check things out. Uh, when he got up there, he found Sonia Larson in her bed and stabbed her to death. And then Danny went back downstairs, taped Powell's mouth shut and raped her before stabbing her to death. Um, so yeah, these stories, like these first couple of stories were pretty crazy. This one's a little sad. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't warn you. Um, I think you'll be all right. Uh, he then posed both bodies in sexual positions before leaving the apartment. Uh, the next day, he broke into an apartment belonging to 18-year-old Christina or uh, Krista Hoyt and waited for a few hours for her to return home. When she did, he jumped her, taped her mouth shut, raped her, and then stabbed her to death as well. Uh, this time, he went ahead and decapitated her and posed her head on a shelf facing her own corpse because, look, guys, if you're going to do it, go all out. Like, don't just murder someone. Just do everything. Make a scene out of it. All right. Uh, the our Riverwall podcast does not condone raping and murdering people. Please do not go do that. All right. Anyway, um, news of these three murders quickly spread around town, and students began altering their routines to avoid getting killed. Um, on August 27th, however, Danny broke into an apartment occupied by 23-year-olds Tracy Pauls and Manny Toboada. Uh, Danny found Manny first, and after a brief struggle, killed him. That commotion woke Tracy, who ran downstairs to find uh, Danny hovering over Manny's dead body. Tracy ran back up to her room and tried to barricade herself inside, but Danny went all the shining on her, you know, here's Johnny or whatever he says, and broke through the door to do his usual raping and stabbing to death. Uh, police quickly, though, had two leads, but ended up clearing both suspects as Danny continued free. On September 7th, he was, however, arrested in nearby Ocala on a burglary charge. 
Uh, police quickly matched the tools he used in the burglaries to the ones that had that had been used to break into the apartments in Gainesville. And investigators um, quickly searched Danny's camp because he was homeless and found uh, country songs that he had written about each murder. Um, like, that's what's weird. That's the weird detail in this story is like Danny would go and murder someone and then he would go back to his little homeless camp and write a song about it. Um, and surprise, I've got one of those songs keyed up for you right here. goes on for a couple more minutes but you get the gist of it um that's actually him that's actually his recording um there are a couple of i think there's like two or three other songs on youtube uh that you can listen to they're not bad you know i i I don't think they're that bad um but that that one was called mystery writer um there's a couple others like i said on youtube but uh yeah i don't know it's pretty talented i guess um but The other songs that police found um, were him just basically describing his murders and police kind of took that as a confession and uh, charged him with those three murders. Um, The trial began uh, four years later. I don't know why it took that long for the trial to start. Um, And Danny claimed that he had done it to become a superstar like Ted Bundy. Awesome. Cool. Way to go, Ted Bundy. Um, He pleaded guilty to all of the charges and was sentenced to death on each count. Uh, As he waited uh, execution, he then confessed to a triple murder that he had committed 17 years prior back in Shreveport. Um, They just kind of were like, all right, cool. We'll just give you those as well. And he was given the lethal injection on October 25th, 2006. And that wraps up today's stories. All right, Florida. Um, some stories. I mean, there are going to be some other stories from Florida um, in future episodes, but hope you enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed the extra uh, sprinkles I added in there. That was fun. Uh, don't get used to it, um, but I'll, I'll throw them in when, when possible. So, yeah, let's uh, wrap this up and see what we learned today. What did we learn? Number one, uh, the Garden of Eden might actually be in North Florida and not in the Middle East, like we've all been led to believe. Is that true? Probably not. But (laughs) 
how funny would that be if like just all of a sudden like Noah's Ark just like well no they say Noah's Ark is on Mount Ararat and that's what it says in the Bible but maybe if it was a global flood it could have started in Florida and floated I don't think I don't think that's possible though I don't think it's possible in 40 days to sail from Florida to Turkey I could be wrong maybe it's possible I don't know I don't think it is though but whatever Anyway, it's probably not true, you guys. Uh, Calloway was just a crazy person. Uh, number two, the Florida Keys seceded from the United States uh, in the 80s, and they totally believe that they are a sovereign nation called the Conch Republic. Uh, no one else believes them, though. Even most people in the Florida Keys, it's really just a bunch of uptight white people who like the idea of being a, their own country and having their own rules. It's not true. Uh, number three. Uh, a bonus tip or not a bonus tip, but just something you may not know. Uh, I wrote a book on Florida called where the weird things are. Uh, it's got some of these stories in it and a bunch more. Uh, it's one of my travel memoirs that talks about, uh, just my life. And then also just my adventures, uh, all around Florida. So, uh, if you're interested in some more of those crazy stories, check that book out called where the weird things are. Um, it's on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Uh, you can get it, order yourself a copy, order everyone a copy because it'd be great if I sold more books. Um, but that's just not the case. Um, you guys did know I wrote books, right? I don't think I've really ever mentioned it on this podcast, which is weird. I probably should do that. I've written several books. Um, a lot of the stories that are on the, on the show are in my 100 story series. Um, I've also written several travel memoirs, um, just kind of detailing my, uh, travels around, uh, some of the country, and then also just kind of exploring um, how I see the world, how I've grown as a person. It's really introspective, uh, really thought-provoking. I think it's actually pretty good. I think you would enjoy it. Um, but yeah, all of my books are available on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Uh, go check them out. Um, just search my name, and they should come up. But uh, yeah, it would be it'd be pretty, pretty sweet if you did that. <music> On next week's episode of Our Weird World, we are getting back into the heavy, dark stuff with the story of Radovan Karadzic. Um, maybe not as bad as Joseph Fritzl or David Parker Ray, but it's up there. Um, definitely up there. Um, Karadzic was basically one of the key players in the Bosnian-Serbian conflicts um, and the genocides of the early nineties. Um, a, a thing that doesn't really get talked about a whole lot. You know, I had heard about it. I had no idea just how horrible it was until I heard about this guy. So, uh, if you, if you're not familiar with the Bosnian Serbian conflicts, um, this one's going to be a real eye opener for you. So get ready for that. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, even if you're in Florida and you're highly offended by how I've portrayed your state today, I kind of apologize, but get your stuff together. Seriously. Um, but yes, thank you for listening. Keep telling all your friends and keep it weird. Keep it weird.